forever. Raskin. I'm a writer, mental health advocate, and I hate my insurance company. Hi, I'm Gabe Dunn. I'm a writer, bicon, bisexual icon, wink, um, and I do everything myself. What what insurance company? Well, I don't know if I should name names, but oh, it's for what health? But insurance? it's uh, it's Blue Shield. Um, <laughs> <laughs> because I I went and I had um, a follow up with my physician's assistant for my knee surgery. And I guess I was under the impression that it was, like, normal to still be, like, in the amount of pain that I'm in. And she was sort of, like, not really. Oh. And so then she recommended that I get this, like, hydraulic acid shot that's, like, basically, like, WD-40 for your joints or whatever. Okay. So I think the surgery kind of, like, can make it, like, drain it of that. Yeah. But they were like, yeah, but these insurance companies, they don't approve it. And I was like, oh, no. And then within days, they were like, we don't approve it. <laughs> It's just wild. It's like I paid so much through Cover California. I think I pay like over $600 per month and they won't cover my fucking shot that like my surgeon's office wants me to get to alleviate pain. And and like if I paid cash, it'd be $1,500, which is a shit ton of money to me. But like in terms of like medical things, like right. that's not that much for an insurance company compared to like if you charge them for like an MRI or you know what I mean? Yeah. Also, what? What they decide is medically necessary versus not medically necessary is ridiculous. Yeah, that was the ra- that was the reason was that it was like not medically necessary. Oh, okay. That's like a friend of mine who had cancer, and he had uh, his teeth fall out because of chemo, and then the they wouldn't cover his dentistry because they were like it's cosmetic, and I was like, it's cosmetic for you to be able to chew food. Like, are you kidding me? And I've just heard so many stories like that. Yeah, it's like. there's a chance I can get it from a Canadian pharmacy somehow for less money. I don't know. Now I gotta like, now I gotta like try to beat the system somehow. Oh my God. If you're listening from another country, hi, we're in America. Please help. Please. (laughs) Title of our second book, please send help. Um, It's funny because we do talk about unions in the interview. Yeah. And like collective bargaining. So Mm -hmm. This is Just Between Us, a variety show filled with heartfelt advice. Ridiculous games. And brutal honesty. I'm going to start talking in my natural voice now from my testosterone because I think I keep trying to do my normal register and it's just cracking. So I'm going to, and I'm very embarrassed about the cracking. Why? I sound prepubescent. So? And like, I just have to get used to, I think that this is the resting place where it's resting. And I don't have, I can't, I can't fight my vocal cords to go back to where they were. Well, why would you want them to go back? I don't, but it's just unnatural. To me, I feel like I sound very monotone now. You do, but you usually yell. So I think that's the difference. You're not yelling like you usually yell. But I have to keep my voice like down here. But that's the difference is that you're trying to keep it at an even level when that's not where you usually. Maybe I can't yell anymore. Maybe. I hope I never need help. (laughs) (laughs) We've got a great episode for everyone today. We're going to be asking Maya Lau some tough questions about salary transparency. And later, we're going to be talking about memoirs. 
why are there so many and who should be allowed to write them? Which is way too harsh, but I have to make it sound catchy. No, I have an opinion. <laughs> and it's about me and I shouldn't write one. Here we go. But first, we have got to answer a listener's question. And you know what that means? Hit it! International question! International question! International question! Anonymous! Anonymous writes, Hi, Allison, and also Gabe, but mostly Allison. I don't read the emails. Love to see that. Love to see that. Preface, I, she, her, 23, have been a fan of JBU since its beginnings on YouTube, and I love the podcast, and I look forward to it every week. I'm about to graduate with my MSW and work in private practice as a family therapist, and I love listening to your podcast for relationship and mental health advice. I found that it's very helpful in my own clinical practice as well as my own personal relationships. Don't you love when therapists say that we help them with their therapy? I mean, nothing gets me going more than a compliment from a licensed therapist. Right. I'll be honest. That's what really gets my juices going. Where they say <laughs> they play an episode or they recommend a video or something. Ooh, that's me living my best life. No, I love it too. But I'm sure for you, it's a whole nother level. <laughs> Question. How do I support my best friend with their gender journey? while also helping them make the best decisions for themselves and our mutual friendships. Oh, boy. Background. My best friend, they, them, 23, and I have been friends since the beginning of our undergrad, and we have continued to be close all these years. Around three years ago, they came out and decided to present more masculine and use they, them pronouns. They have not decided to change their name to reflect their new gender identity, but for the purposes of this email, we can call them Lauren. Our mutual friend, Chris, fake name, she, her, is getting married in June to our other friend, James, fake name, he, him. Chris and James have been engaged for two years now. Chris, Lauren, and I were all best friends in our undergrad, and we lived together for two years. Lauren and Chris met by being roommates our freshman year, and they were always extremely close, and they lived together for three years before Chris graduated early. Chris and Lauren were best friends first before I got into the mix, and Chris was always closer to Lauren than her and I were. Chris, James, Lauren, and I were all very good friends, and James basically lived with all of us in college since Chris and James started dating in our undergrad. Everyone had always loved Chris and James, and they had a great romantic relationship. Chris and James have been talking about marriage since we all lived together in college. There was even talk of Lauren being a bridesmaid in Chris's wedding. Chris and James have since moved out of state since graduation, but we have all remained friends. Lauren and I actually visited Chris and James two years ago for a trip, and we all had a great time. Since our adult lives have started, we have not been in contact as regularly, but I still consider us all to be friends. I speak to Chris occasionally, and to the best of my knowledge, so does Lauren. I have started playing for the wedding since it's out of state and a far travel, but I have just found out that Lauren does not want to go to the wedding. Lauren has stated that it's because they do not agree with Chris's religious lifestyle and do not want to be misgendered at the wedding. Hearing this news was very surprising to me since Chris and Lauren have been very close and have gone on several family vacations together with Chris's family. Chris's Christian views slash values have never been unsupportive or disrespectful to Lauren's gender journey at all, and Chris has been very supportive all of these years. This was supposed to be an event for all our mutual college friends who are still in contact with and our friends to get together and have a good time and celebration of love. Lauren and I's good friend Meg is a bridesmaid for the wedding as well. I do not know if Chris and Lauren have had a conversation about this yet. I just found out this information last night and I am frank frantically writing this in because I finally have something that I would like advice on <laughs> from you guys. I want to be supportive of Lauren's boundary to potentially not be misgendered at the wedding, but I cannot understand how they are valuing potential discomfort over being present at our good friend's wedding. 
Any thoughts about this would be appreciated. Perhaps my own relationships with these people are clowning my judgment or that I would never put my own discomfort over the needs of my loved ones. Thanks again. So this is interesting because it sounds like Lauren is, I mean, I wanted to say in the middle of the journey, but like we're all in the middle of the journey. I came out like 2021. So this person has possibly been out longer than me. Like, you know, I think everyone is, time doesn't necessarily make the, the like everyone is sort of constantly on a gender journey if you are on one. I think, I think maybe what's happening is like a fear of who else will be at this wedding. So like a fear of Chris's relatives or who else might be there. Because if you, as a queer person and as a gender nonconforming person, if you're among other queer people, other gender nonconforming people, if you're with friends who know you and love you and all of that, you get comfortable, you're in this comfortable space. And then it is jarring to have to go somewhere outside of that space where you don't have the control and you're not sure what's going to happen. And so you start building up all these ideas in your head of what could potentially happen. Like, and it, and it is anxiety, right? Like in your mind, like in, in Lauren's mind, obviously like Chris's family hasn't misgendered them, but in, in their fantasy or in their like anxiety spiral, it feels like it's already happened or it feels like I have to prepare for every eventuality. And then if you get caught off guard, it, it feels sometimes like, oh, I should have prepped for that. I should have known that would happen. Being misgendered is very jarring and it can ruin a, a day. It can like sour a whole mood. It's very hard to tell someone to sort of suck that up. I think you described yourself as a person who would never put your own discomfort over the needs of loved ones. And that's like how you are, but that's not maybe how other people are. I just think it's it's shitty because Lauren is going off of a hypothetical, but a hypothetical that they have a lot of reason to be scared of, right? It's like someone's like, I don't want to go in the ocean. And you're like, and they're like, you're like, why? You're like, we're scared of sharks. And it's like, you don't see any sharks there, but like there are sharks in oceans. Like there will probably be people at this wedding, even if it wasn't a religious wedding. There, there will probably be people at this wedding where it is it is a bit of a minefield, especially we've talked about on this show, gender and weddings can be really hard because what are you wearing? What are you, you know, how are people viewing you? What is the grandpa going to call you? And, and especially if you haven't changed your name from a, a more traditionally feminine name, that is also a minefield. So I do understand Lauren seeing this wedding as like one big grenade, but I think that they could do maybe a better job of explaining that and building in protections for themselves. Like at a certain point, like, yes, like other people around you can, can help and can step in and can do stuff. But like a lot of things that I do is preemptive. Like, do I want to necessarily go by he, him in all situations? No. Do I use that in mixed company? Because I know that I need them to, to, get that it's not she and I need them to get it fast? Yes. Was Gabe my first choice of name? No. Did I choose? I like it. I love it. Did I choose it primarily because it gets the point across immediately to not be misgendered? Absolutely. And and, and in an ideal world, we shouldn't have to do those things. But in mixed, comp in mixed company, there is an added anxiety where maybe Lauren is just sort of coming to that conclusion. <laughs> Or coming to that realization that this might be um, a really anxious place to be. Yeah, I kind of have what 
is probably going to be a, 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 a strong point of view on this. But it's something that I've had to really learn, you know, over the past decade, the difference between, you know, 23 version of me and the 33 version of me is that this is not your problem to solve. Mm. I'm such a meddler. I love to meddle. I love <laughs> to get in there. I love to like be up to stuff and try to solve people's problems and try to achieve what I think is is harmony. And something I really worked on lately is like when something is not my responsibility or even like my business, if mm -hmm. that makes sense. And so, you know, not to give like too directive an advice and obviously take it or fucking leave it. But like my point of view is sort of like this stinks. Like, obviously, you mm -hmm. would prefer for all of your friends to be at this wedding. But Lauren is an adult. And if Lauren doesn't want to come, then that's Lauren's decision. Mm -hmm. And it's not on you to try to help make you know, Chris and James have the wedding of their dreams. Like you're going, mm -hmm. you're going to be supportive. You're going to have a great time. You're going to see your other friends there. But like this responsibility of trying to convince someone to do something that they don't want to do or that they're maybe not initially comfortable with, like, especially if they're in the middle of, of, of really going through a gender journey, like everyone has to go through that at their own pace they have to come to their own conclusions about what they are and are not comfortable with. And so I would really just say, like, focus on on just like grieving the fact that your really good friend won't be there instead of feeling like there's something you have to do about it. Right. There's a lot of things that you can't control going into your 20s, going from your early 20s into your mid to late 20s. Relationships are going to change. People are going to change what people want out of relationships are going to change. And I think like I sense a fear of change. All of you got, you want everyone to be together. You want everyone to, to, you know, have the, the same, like have this reason to get back together and, and have a, like a reunion where everyone falls back into the same dynamics maybe, but there are, there are people that change and there are people that I was friends with who in groups and, who for, you know, for their own reasons, left the group and do their own thing. And I'm sort of like, that's what they needed to do for their growth is to not participate in certain things. I had a very good friend in high school and he was like, once I leave this town, I'm not going to come back and I'm not going to talk to anyone from the town ever again. And I was like, okay, and then he really did it. <laughs> wow. He went to school and he stopped talking to all of us and he disappeared and he redid his whole life in college. And I know because he had a, a tough time in high school with bullying and stuff. So I was like, I totally get it. I didn't bully him. I was a friend, but I just had to be like, you need to rebuild who you are. And, and I, I can't control you doing that. And if you, if that means you making decisions that I don't agree with, if that means you not being the same type of friend to me, like, that's okay. And I, I understand, I think people have a lot of trouble with it. I had an ex who like, he was really close with his whole sports team. And then one member of the sports team, like didn't talk to them anymore. And it really bothered all of them. And it's just, you can't control that. And like, you know, it's okay for your relationship with people to continue, even if their relationships with each other exactly. don't continue, yes. which can feel awkward if you were used to being in a big group. But like Gabe's saying, like social dynamics change, they come in and out. I've had friends who I was so close with 
fell out of touch and now we're friends again. Is it the same level of friendship as when we were like so close? Mm-hmm. No, but we're back in each other's lives and that's wonderful. And, you know, just like, again, like taking the burden off of you that this is something that you need to fix or deal with mm-hmm. and instead figure out like, how can I still have a really fun time at this wedding without Lauren there? Mm-hmm. So hopefully that's helpful. Thank you so much for your years of support. I hope I I didn't make you angry. Um. (laughs) And Lauren could maybe change their mind. Yeah, that's true too. If you want to submit your international question, you can send it to justbetweenuspod at gmail.com. That's justbetweenuspod at gmail.com. Up next, we've got an exciting interview with our highly esteemed guest, Maya Lau. So stay tuned. With Mother's Day around the corner, are you thinking about a truly special gift for your mom? Let me tell you all about mylifeinabook.com. It's a unique service that turns your mom's life stories into a beautiful book. Pretty cool, right? Here's how it works. Every week, mylifeinabook.com will send her a question via email. These can be pre-written questions about her life or any custom questions you wish to ask. And then she can either type her response or use their voice-to-text feature. And mylifeinabook.com compiles all her responses into a beautiful keepsake book. And guess what? They can even create an audiobook using her voice recordings. It's like preserving her voice and her stories for eternity. Imagine discovering stories about her youth, adventures, and the challenges she overcame. This book becomes a legacy, something you and future generations can treasure forever. Your mom's given you a lifetime of stories. This is your chance to give her a way to share them. Right before I found out about this project, my mom made an offhand comment about wanting to write a memoir because she had such a wild childhood and there are all these things she's never really talked to us about. But asking someone to sit down and write a memoir is kind of daunting. So then I got her mylifeinabook.com and now she's getting prompts to answer on a weekly basis and it's a lot easier than just undertaking an entire memoir. I'm so excited to see what my mom does with mylifeinabook.com because she's someone who doesn't always feel comfortable just sharing about herself but having these prompts and knowing that I really want to hear her answers is going to inspire her to probably share more with me about her life and her upbringing than I've ever been shared with before so I'm so excited for that check out mylifeinabook.com and use code just between us at checkout for 10% off create an unforgettable gift for your mom this mother's day that's mylifeinabook.com use code just between us for 10% off today Hi everyone, Allison here. Anyone who knows me well knows that I love to read. I am always looking for new books and that is why I'm so excited that this episode is sponsored by Book of the Month. Book of the Month's mission is to help readers discover new books they love and to promote the work of emerging authors. It was so fun for me to get to pick which book I wanted to read this month and have it shipped right to my door. Book of the Month makes it easy to decide which book to read next. Each month, the editorial team reads through hundreds of new titles. They pick some of the best new books for you to choose from. All the books are good, so you can't go wrong. Every aspect of the Book of the Month experience is designed to be fun and special for readers. They have a highly anticipated release at the beginning of each month. Books are delivered in this really adorable bright blue box, and there's a fun app to help you pick your book and track your reading process. They also offer great values on new release hardcover fiction. It's much cheaper than other options, shipping is always free, and with a loyalty program, you get rewards and even lower prices the longer you stay as a member. My first book from Book of the Month was The Husbands by Holly Gramazio. I am tearing through this book 
It is so fun. It's basically about this woman who one day comes home and there's a husband in her apartment and she's like, where did you come from? And then she figures out that every time her new husband goes into the attic, a new husband comes out and she's, she's like shuffling through all these different husbands from the attic trying to figure out which one is the best. It is right up my alley and I love it so much. So if you want to take part in Book of the Month and have a brand new book shipped right to your door every single month, go to bookofthemonth.com and get your first book for $5 with code PEDALS. That's $5 off with code PEDALS. I cannot recommend this enough. Back to Just Between Us. It's time for the juiciest, most scandalous, most controversial segment known to all of podcasting. Tough questions. This week on the show, we have Maya Lau, the creator, host, and executive producer of the podcast Other People's Pockets, produced by Pushkin Industries and Little Everywhere. She's an award-winning former investigative reporter for the Los Angeles Times and the Advocate newspaper in Louisiana, among so many other things, among so many other accomplishments. Hello. Welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, we when we got the pitch for you, uh, your show, your your fight ad show, it was like we were like, oh, well, we're familiar with shows like this. <laughs> yeah, I do a podcast <laughs> called Bad with Money that it seems like we're really aligned on our goals. Yes. So what uh, led you to want to talk about money for this show? I have long been curious and a little frustrated about money. It's just been something in the background for me in my personal life where I'm like, huh, why does it never seem like I have quite enough, even though I'm not I'm not trying to say that I'm, you know, there's there's obviously people with less than me. But being a newspaper reporter, which I think most people know doesn't make a ton of money. Mm -hmm. I just started to get really frustrated with the the salary ceiling. I started to realize like, wait a second, even if I totally excel in this field, there's a real ceiling to how much I can make. And I started to realize like friends of mine, people I knew who even got Pulitzers didn't get raises mm -hmm. or like, like just kind of like, okay, I love this thing that is journalism, but I also think I need a little, I, I just started to get excited about what maybe came afterward or what else was out there. So th it was this personal curiosity that turned into like, wait, I think that maybe this could be a show mm -hmm. because I started to ask people in my personal life or in like when I was having a career crisis and I would interview different people, you know, the informational interviews, I'd be like, and how much money do you make? And it was always the most interesting part of my day at the end of the day to tell my husband like, okay, so I talked to this person, blah, 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 guess how much money they make. And it, whether it was high or low or whatever, that was always like, well, what's the deal? And then I just was like, I just wish I could have a podcast where I talk to people about this. And I, I think at first I felt like it was too basic, like, oh, that's just like such a surface level thing to talk about or, but then I realized actually it's so universal. Like it's everyone I talk to, even about the idea for the show, they're like, oh my gosh, I would totally listen to that. Or I have thoughts about that. Like everybody has some relationship with money. So yeah, I started to kind of realize like this is actually a thing. And, you know, when you think about salary transparency and trying to, to break, break the silence around what people get paid, it started to feel like, oh, this actually does align anyway with sort of my journalistic mission of, you know, shedding light on something. So that's kind of basically the idea. Yeah. One of the main topics I wanted to talk to you about was salary transparency, because there is 
I, I have like no sense what anyone makes, <laughs> like <laughs> what you can make in any sort of field. I feel like sometimes we are so off base. Like I had a very funny interaction with a friend who assumed that our other friend was making like over 200K a year. And my fiance and I were like, what? Yeah. <laughs> we were like, and it was actually messaged less or oh, more than made that? way less, like way under less. 100K uh-huh. a year, you know, but like mm-hmm. in her head, she was like, but he's a consultant at a great firm. Like he should be making like logically, yeah. he should be making that amount. But we were like, that's not how life works. Yeah. You know? right. like, <laughs> yeah. And I'm sure probably they can. The biggest thing for me is that they've been able to keep me from asking for more or asking for raises or whatever, because I don't know what anyone else is making. That's been like the biggest thing. So you're talking about newspaper reporting. I also studied Mm -hmm. journalism. I also had the idea that I would go into newspapers um, and you don't make any money there. So were you like when you were working as a reporter, were you sort of like asking the people around you what they were making or what were you finding that? Uh, types of people were making more for certain reasons or is it just like the industry was sort of dying around you? Yeah, I would definitely ask other people around me what they made. And I asked for raises many times at the LA Times and didn't get them. And then I finally did like after we created a union. But yeah, you know, it, it really varied. It was I ended up actually finding out exactly what the disparity was between some of my white male colleagues because it came out, it basically came out as part of a lawsuit. And so like, I know for a fact that I was underpaid. Mm -hmm. Can you share what you were, what you were paid and and what what you were paid, what you like started at and then what you ultimately got to? Yeah. So I started at the LA Times at $75,000 a year, which like I realize in many parts of the country, like is like a totally great salary, but in LA, it's not as great, especially when you have student loans and like rent is so high. So that was that. But at the time, like when I first got the job, I was like, oh, great. $75,000 is awesome. And then you just somehow realize all the money just disappears. And then I ended up getting a raise to 80 something and then 90 and then 100. Mm -hmm. And I'm not like saying like, oh my gosh, boohoo. Sure. But what were your white colleagues? What were your white guy colleagues making? Yeah, they were were making like 20K ish more than me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. For the same amount of years of experience and same type of job. Yeah. So, you know, it, it, I, it's weird. I've kind of found a little bit like it seemed like the business section people made more, like not the business side of the paper, but the people who were were writing about business sometimes because they came from other publications like Bloomberg or like places that already pay more. A lot of it has to do with like, where did you come from? And I came from Louisiana, mm. where I wasn't paid very much. Yeah, I mean, I think it's so important to just ask around and even like DM random white men on LinkedIn <laughs> in your field, because that's really who you want. Like you really want to talk to the white men. It's fine to talk to like people that look like you too. Like it's not as helpful for me to know what another woman makes. Like mm. it's great, but it's like, I want to know what the white men are making. <laughs> Well, it's interesting that you said like, oh, it came out in a lawsuit or, oh, I was able to get this because we unionized. So right. like the how did that change salary transparency? Well, but yeah. So prior to the union at the L.A. Times, it, it was all secret. There had been longstanding frustrations over people just not getting raises for you, like not even getting cost of living increases. Mm-hmm. And I remember like trying to strategize how to get a raise. And I went to somebody who has had been in the paper a long time and she was just like, good luck. Like, I support you. But like, I have literally tried this so many different ways and talked to everybody, you know, including the 
the top people and still didn't happen. So then with the union, there was something that kind of forced the company to open its books. And then finally, that's like the first time that it wasn't like everyone's salary became transparent to everyone, but it became transparent to the union heads and the people who could negotiate for us. So that was the first time it became, you know, they could demonstrate with actual evidence like that there's great disparities going on. And so it goes to show that like most companies, it's in their best interest to keep it secret. When you think about like who does the secrecy benefit, it it benefits by and large the employers because they don't want all the employees to be talking amongst themselves and going, oh, I'm getting underpaid and I want to ask for more. You know, knowledge is power. So the less knowledge there is, the more power they can have. I also think it's so strange that people are applying to jobs without knowing what the salary is and then how like oftentimes employers will be like well what do you want <laughs> you know like, can, can you talk on that and like yeah. how that's such like a, a harmful like procedure that we've all just like accepted is the status quo <laughs> yeah I mean I mean there are laws about this changing like in New York and some other places when you post a job you have to post what the salary range is but some people have pointed out like the range is like fifty thousand dollars to three hundred thousand dollars like that's not a helpful range but like yeah I think that 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 happened for me in a lot also I think it is illegal in some places to ask a prospective employee what is your current salary and if anyone asks you that like even if it is illegal or not like I would I would probably like if anyone asked me that I'd be like isn't that illegal to ask that? Like, I would just kind of put them on the spot because it shouldn't be based on what your previous salary was. I would make something up. I'd be like, they're paying me 200K, actually. Yeah, I know. Right. Like, or just do that. (laughs) But yeah, it totally, it just keeps you down, especially if you've, if you've never, if you don't know what you should ask for. And if you're basing it off of like, what am I making now? And what's like an okay range to ask for? I mean, it, it's just disempowering when you don't know the reality of like, okay, here's what you should be asking for. I will also tell you though, like before I joined the LA Times, I was told by some people, um, here's what you should ask for. Like, like for real, they were trying to help me. And it was like a higher, it was like, you should ask for at least a hundred. And I was told, I mean, they lied to me. Like they were like, well, you know, the highest, you know, we're already offering you the highest of the range. So like, you're already getting the best deal. So it's kind of hard because sometimes when you just don't have leverage, it's like, okay, you either accept it or not. So yeah, it just, it it can be hard. Yeah. I mean, did you have any people say, I don't want to answer that question or that's... For my so- podcast? Yeah. Or like or- for your podcast or, or in your life, sort of people that we're thinking, oh, this is taboo or this is, you know, I, I I don't want to answer that maybe out of shame of how much it is or shame of how little it is. Sure. Um, I mean, for the podcast, we screen people ahead of time and, and let them know this is what the show is about. This is the heart of our show is talking about people's numbers. So are you OK with that or not? If they're totally not OK, then they're not the right fit for the show. Right. But in terms of it, just in general, yes, I've definitely had people say, I'm not going to tell you. And I I kind of push back a little bit and like, oh, can you tell me a range or whatever? And sometimes they still won't. I think most people do um, if they know that um, what the parameters are, like 
is this really for my personal research? Which sometimes it is like when I was looking for different career opportunities, it really was like, I just, I need to know this information as I embark on this. Sometimes one way to ask is more like, I'm doing this personal research. It's really just helpful for me to know what people are paid in this field. Can I tell you what I'm making? And you can you tell me if, if that sounds fair mm-hmm. or if that sounds in line with what your understanding of of what the rate should be? And oftentimes that's an easier question for them to answer. And then sometimes they'll just be like, look, I'm just I'll just tell you what I mean, you know. <laughs> so if you like that can be like an easier way in. But yeah, sure. There are people that don't. And I think that they tend to be older. I was going to say, <laughs> do you find that it's it's difference in generation? Because I just read an article that was like Gen Z will not apply to a job unless it tells them the what the salary is, mm-hmm. which to me as a, a elder millennial, I was like, oh, wow. Like that's, you know, that's that's fa- that's a fascinating shift. Yeah, um, I definitely see that like the, the younger somebody is, the more they're like, yeah, I'll just tell you what's the big deal. Uh, the older they are, you know, there are people who are, quote unquote, older who have shared. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, there tends to be a little bit more caginess, some outright like. No, I will not. Um, because, yeah, there, there's just a, a really different generational shift. Why do you think the younger generation is different? Well, because younger generations just tend to be like more open about everything like sex and like putting everything out there on Twitter and TikTok. And like, it, I mean, it used to be totally crazy to think you would just like video blog about your life or like, ran, you know, but now that's like, yeah, I'm just going to share my life. So I think it's part of that. And I think that there's also more of an awareness of social activism and how this is part of a movement. And this is a part as a way to create solidarity with other people and that the secrecy around it, again, it's just like sex. It's like, you know, I don't know, in the 1950s, like you wouldn't talk as openly mm-hmm. about sex. And people have realized like that really serves to silence a lot of people. And people didn't know that they were in abusive relationships or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so I think I think there's just more of an awareness of like the social benefits of being open about money. Can I be bold and ask what you make for your podcast? You can, but I will say that we're doing an episode about this for the podcast. So like, I don't know if I want to scoop myself. Oh, <laughs> you're going to do a whole episode about what you make. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, oh gosh, it's not that I feel bad talking about it. It's that like, I also want to like have it on your have own it show. on the show. <laughs> <laughs> so I think I'm going to say like, it's going to be on the show. Yeah. Like, that's really funny. Good <laughs> yeah. reporting, Allison. Thank you. I tried. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I, I get it. <laughs> because I think people look at like, you know, people like us who have all these different revenue streams. And I think there's like, I mean, I never know what I'm going to make money from. And like, I also feel like the things I make more money from, I'm like, why are they paying me this? And then the things I work so hard on, it's like, here's almost nothing. Yeah. Um, And a lot of it has to do with like, you know, who are the companies backing you, right? Like, are you working for like, is it a a big company that has a lot of money? Or is it a a book publisher that doesn't, you know? And so how do you feel about people who aren't even making enough money from their full-time job and then feel like they need to supplement that income? Yeah, totally. I mean, that's like the American way now. And it's and it sucks that like people have to have side hustles. And I, I think like I think on the one hand, like it is good to always think about side hustles that you might want to have because 
like I, I don't feel like I was ever taught about entrepreneurship as a young person. Mm-hmm. Like it was just like you get a job and then, then you know, you, you give your all boss. to Yeah. Yeah. And you work overtime for free and like you're just like so into it because it's your passion. And and like the thought of having a side hustle was like, what? I don't even have time for a side hustle. So on the one hand, like, I think it's great to be like really entrepreneurial and think about other, you know, multiple income streams you can have. At the same time, I think it's like fucked up that like a lot of people have to do that. And, you know, I, I had somebody in my DM, like, I don't know exactly what they did for a living, but it was they're asking me for advice. And I was like, I don't really like I'm not I'm not like an expert on this or anything, but it made me feel sad and angry that they were clearly like trying their best in life. And but they just felt like they had to have a side hustle just to like get by. I mean, this idea of nobody wants to work when people really do want to work. I know more people who want jobs that can't get them. And it's because the job has to be worth your time and also has to be paying you enough to live. Right. So the idea of like, oh, well, nobody wants to work. It's that these places aren't paying to keep up with inflation or with a living wage. Yeah. Nobody wants to work at shitty jobs. Yeah. So everybody is wants to piece together a salary or they're trying to piece together a salary that makes sense in a way that you may not have had to in the past because this job pays like shit, this job pays like shit, but maybe together they could do something. But it just ends up in people who are incredibly overworked or who are looking in sectors that they wouldn't normally look in that that are not, you know, good for them or not like a a something that's fulfilling for them in their hearts because they're having to piece this stuff together in a way that other generations didn't have to. Yeah, totally. And that's also what I find so frustrating when you do ask other generations, like if you ask your parents for advice, like you literally can't ask your parents for advice about money. They just, my, I think my mom said at one point, like, oh yeah, like the kind of standard thinking was like when back when she was younger and like could afford a house, it was like, okay, you can afford a house that's like two to maybe three times your annual income. Mm-hmm. Like that's, and I'm like, you cannot afford a house that like, Say like you were in L.A. and your income is $100,000, like like you can't even find a condo for $200,000. So their frame of mind, like their frame of reference is totally different. The economy has changed so much. I mean, also like people in smaller places, you know, it's interesting like to hear from people in smaller towns. I love to Zillow. Like if I'm going, if I, when I drive across the country, if I was in like a middle of nowhere place, I would Zillow what the houses went for. Um, and they would be like pretty reasonable, but to to me, but based on my own, like where I, I've lived, but then like to the people in that town, they're like, no, that actually got like shot up. Yeah. Like it's actually pricing a lot of us out. Yeah. From people like you that are like, oh, maybe I'll move here. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. <laughs> totally. It's everywhere. But then they don't change the salaries of the people in those no. areas and at the jobs that they're working at. And I think like, that salary transparency is is the only way to get paid what you are owed. And also, to me, I, I feel like I am okay doing a lot of embarrassing things because I just I just need the information. And I think for a lot of people, it's 
really vulnerable. Like the thing I cry about most is money. Absolutely. And I think like for a lot of people, like you said, you know, sex is very vulnerable. And the whole reason I started my show was because sex is whatever to me. But like talking about money, I would like sob. And so I think Mm -hmm. like it's nice to see other shows that would encourage people to talk to the people in your life. One of the biggest things that I learned in my research was the the people that will have the best advice for you are the people that are in, live in your area and are your same age and are in your mm-hmm. field. Even because yeah. even like I know people don't talk to their neighbors, but I do or some people do. And like people that are living in the same, you know, area that can afford to live in the same area you're in. If you ask them where they work or what they make or, you know, like you ask people, you know, you ask your friends, then that's more in line with like you'll have more in common, basically. And so they'll actually have better advice for you than someone like Dave Ramsey or something like that. But people are more likely to Google a rando billionaire giving advice than to like ask their best friend. Totally. And I think that like part of why I'm interested in doing this is like, there's this this like one size fits all financial advice that's out there. That's fine. If you like, you know, need to know basics about like, try not to get into debt or whatever. But like, it's so interesting to talk to individual people, like, how did you do it? Even Mm -hmm. if the way you did it was wrong, or like, was like, not how it's advised, but then you made it work in the end or whatever. Like, yeah, people's like individual stories of how they make their money work for them or don't is really valuable. And I just had, yeah, I had this other thought as we were talking, like, I mean, I'm curious, like what you feel like in, in the the other like money show you do, like, on the one hand, like, we're, we're talking about salary and how much people make. And, you know, it's just, it's kind of just facts about numbers. And at the same time, like, I do want to get at, and I'm, I'm still not even sure how to exactly get at this in my show. And I'm just wondering how you think about it. Like, let's also, like, acknowledge the screwed up situation we're in, in which the middle class is getting squeezed. Mm-hmm. And like, yeah, we can talk about like, oh, here's how I figured out how to make more money. But like, let's not also like forget about like the larger societal factors that led us here. Yeah. And I think like, I think sometimes people think that like, if you're talking about money, it's like, you're just part of like pro capitalism or like, you're just like, oh, no, no, no. And it's like, in the interim, like, for sure, like, you need to figure out like what's going to work for you in capitalism. But like, also, like, can we talk about how weird and like bad this? Like, I don't know. Oh, no, that's the number one criticism that bad with money gets is that it's not going to make you rich. Like this, the number one criticism is some of the episodes have information on how to do things, but largely it's a social justice show and pretty leftist show. And so the, you know, the, the criticism is, well, it's not teaching me anything to make me rich. And I'm like, I'm not trying to make you rich. I'm trying to make you be able to survive the day uh, and know and know what to vote for and who to what what groups to get involved with and what's going on for marginalized groups that you're not a part of, maybe, or to give voice to marginalized groups that people are a part of who are listening, but just don't hear from not give one size fits all information and also, you know, I think just try to eliminate shame 
it is hard because a lot of the stuff that I cover, I'm like, there isn't an answer here, at least at this point. I think it's important, like, you, you know, you when you talk about salary transparency to talk about unions to talk about how there's class action lawsuits or that there are things that you can do that are collective bargaining or there's, you know, measures that you can push your representatives to vote on. For example, like one of the the most interesting things that we talked about on the show was the Garment Workers Act. So like people came on and they talked about fast fashion and they talked about, you know, the ways in which like obviously individual consumerism is hard to to criticize and push because people don't have any money and they need clothes for work and all of that right. kind of thing. But that there are people working behind the scenes to create situations where garment workers are paid correctly or that there's something called pay up fashion, which would allow people working in these industries to like actually be paid fairly for their labor and stuff like that. So it is like a hard thing to say, you know, on the one hand, this thing is not good. On the other hand, you got to make it through the day, man. Like you got to have stuff for work. You got to, I mean, I, I can't, you can't individually judge people who are like, I'm going to participate in something that probably, you know, maybe I'm going to participate in a scientific. Or like invest in the stock market. Yeah, or participate in a clinical trial that I don't necessarily agree with, but I need the money or things like that. I think a lot of these other shows don't live in the reality that other people live in. Right. So that's the point of it. I mean, Other People's Pockets is a very interesting title because it is for your show. Because it is just sort of being like, what did you do to get there? And I and I hope that, you know, I think one thing that I didn't really realize until much, I mean, I probably didn't know till I was 25 that other people's parents gave them money. I had no idea. I no idea. I and know. I don't judge that at all. I, right. I, I long for it. But like, <laughs> I, you know, it is a thing where I just, the only problem with it was that I was judging myself. I was saying, mm. well, I must not be good enough. I must not be working hard enough. I must be doing something wrong because why don't I have the things this other person has? Yes, I did the same thing. I do the same thing with with owning a home. Yeah. And transparency would have solved all of that. <laughs> right. And like, I even remember being shocked at learning in like my mid-20s that some of my friends were still on their parents' cell phone plans. I was like, yeah. you don't have your own cell phone plan? But like, that's amazing. Like, this is the other thing sure. is that I really push so hard yeah. to on, there's a lot of stuff of like, Oh, you know, in money media, you know, celebrating people who came from nothing and shaming people who who come from something. And I agree with that to an extent. But I also think that that keeps rich people from talking that that yeah. if we don't let the if we don't let the rich people tell us the let's truth, let the rich people talk. Yeah. If they don't tell us the truth, then, yeah. you know, if they tell say, oh, yeah, I actually like work really hard. But it's but then it's like for a nonprofit your dad owns and you don't actually, you know, like. It, then it's creating all this shame for people where I think like totally. both people from from high incomes and people from low incomes need to like both share their stories and be transparent without judgment to the others. Rich people can't go to poor people and say, well, why are you eating any sugar when you're on, you know, EBT versus like a poor person saying to a rich person, like, why are you hiding the ways in which that you, you know, get tax advantage accounts? Like everybody just needs to like, but but then it's like, Whenever a rich person talks, it's like the poor people are like, fuck you. Whenever a poor person talks, the rich people are like, fuck you. Yeah. Well, like one thing that I have noticed, even with like the, I mean, my show is still super new, but like there's the little like micro reactions we've gotten. And like, 
it's weird to talk about money because it's based on numbers. And like numbers are literally hierarchical. Like it's like there's more or less. It's not like talking about fashion where like you might not like this episode about this type of fashion, but maybe you're into whatever. It's yeah. it's more Subjective. like, yeah. And like there's always going to be people that feel like you're saying like the the people that make less like might always feel like, oh my God, it's so ridiculous that you interviewed someone who makes $500,000. Like, yeah, for sure. Like that is like a ridiculous amount of money to make. But also like, I think that it, it's one of these topics where it's not like a Rorschach test where there's like two options of how people see it or like the blue and black dress versus the white and gold yeah. dress meme thing. It's more like a prism or something where there's like infinite number of of reactions that people all have because everyone's somewhere different on this like scale. And like we just did this episode with Core Jefferson, who is this Hollywood writer. Oh, yeah. And like I literally like I don't know anything about what people get paid. Right. So, I mean, I do a little bit, but like I not in Hollywood. And, you know, he has this big deal with Warner Brothers. And literally in my head, I was like, hmm, I bet he makes like, I don't know, three hundred to $500,000 a year. Like, I don't know, like something good like that. And he was like, I make millions of dollars a year. And I'm like, oh, my God. But I'm kind of like, I try to be like, just curious about it. Like, cool. Like, I'm not like, fuck you. Like, because I make less than that. But it is hard. Like, money is one of those things where like, it does elicit like where some people might listen to that and be like, fuck you. Like, you suck. Of course. And then it also comes down to what are you doing with that yeah. money? And like, there's a big difference between that and billionaires, sure. which the billionaire didn't ex didn't used to exist. Right. It wasn't it wasn't even a thing. Yeah. The idea of like they have to exist. I'm like, nor should they. No. In fact, and I think it's totally unethical to be a billionaire. Like, I do think yeah. that's a line that's like, OK, once you reach there, it's time to start giving away your money. But yeah, it is just weird how yeah people have such strong reactions to to all of this, which is, I think, why it's interesting. And yeah. And they should pay, they should be paying the appropriate taxes. So sure. tell the truth. But the truth is, you're doing tax advantage shit. Yeah. You're, you're getting out of paying taxes that middle class people are paying. So it's like, tell me the truth. I know. And like, the thing that I think about billionaires is that, like, the cynical part of me is like, you know, yeah, we should like for sure tax the rich. But the thing that they do is they they always find a loophole around that. Always. They always just find a way to divert the money offshore. It's like, I don't know. I don't know enough about this, but I'm like, you can raise the taxes as much. And I'm I'm pro raising taxes on rich people. But like, they're just I'm just like, oh, my God, I'm not going to be surprised if they just find a they way to a not wealth tax. Do it. Yeah. So yeah, exactly. The wealth yeah. tax. We're going to take a quick break, but stick around. And we're back. I come from a background of like a pretty substantial financial privilege. And it is this thing where I'm hyper aware of the fact that like the way I get to move through the world is very different from people who don't have the benefit of of generational wealth. And so there is this question always of like, well, what, you know, do I like rake myself over the coals about the fact that I got really lucky or like, what do I, you know, like, I think I lived with a lot of guilt with it for a long time. And now I'm trying to just shift into like a transparency mode where like I live in a house with my fiance. And when people are like, oh, you live in a house? I go, 
yeah, it's my, we're renting to buy from my dad. And I can tell that sometimes when I say that, like I even had one person say, well, you don't need to say that. Or like, you know, and I, and like, I'm like, well, I think I do need to say that because otherwise everyone wonders it. <laughs> right. Otherwise I'm presenting myself as someone who somehow on their own has accumulated enough money to purchase a house in Los Angeles, right. which like, I'm sorry, but I'm nowhere, <laughs> nowhere near that level on my own individual income, even though in other parts of the country, I could afford a house in mm-hmm. Los Angeles. I absolutely cannot. It is this tricky thing of like, I'm trying to be transparent, but like sometimes people don't want to hear it or like it makes it really uncomfortable. But a lot of times I'm like, this is the very least that I could do is yeah. like be honest about the fact that like I, I'm able to go to graduate school and enhance my knowledge of, of psychology because I have parents who are willing to help me and pay for it. Like it would have been a very different discussion if I had to take out loans to do my graduate degree. And so I think that like, just like even saying that is important because otherwise people like, you know, Gabe alluded to are like, well, why, why am I not able to work full time and also go to grad school and take out these loans? You know, Mm -hmm. it's like, because I have privilege. Yeah, totally. And I, I think it's kind of like, and I'm not a sports fan, so I don't really know what I'm talking about, but just as an analogy, it's like, Saying what you make, like, on the one hand, is just factual. Like, if you're a Yankees fan, like, it is just a fact on one level. Of course, there's history to that. But it's also then, okay, so who are you in the room with when you say that you're a Yankees fan? Do there have, is there Red Sox fans in the room? Are there other Yankees fans? <laughs> like, are not to say that it's, I'm not trying to say money should be like. Yeah, but like, be aware. But just, yeah, being aware of like. Yeah, I'm aware of like the context in which I live or like the room I'm in right now or like, your yeah, your audience. And like sometimes it yeah might be uncomfortable. Sometimes you might be among people who are like, I totally get you. Like, it's just one of those things where like, yeah, it it's it is. And I, I think that that's great that like you're just open about that. Like, it's funny that like other people feel uncomfortable with you <laughs> sharing. But it's like, yeah. Yeah, I think that honestly, like everyone went like, for sure, all of my friends who own houses in LA, I'm like, how? <laughs> I, I know one per I know one couple where I think they were able to yeah, do it on and their I own. do know for and sure. everyone else they need help from their parents. Yeah. And that and to me, like, it's a thing of being like, this is the problem. Yeah. Like other generations have not had to have right. parental help in order to have a home and like calling that out, I think is really important. It also helps me to talk about my situation too, and be more honest and also say like, put my pride aside and be like, I actually need a job. I actually need this money. Like it used to really, I used to pretend when I, when freelance stuff was late, I used to pretend, Oh, I don't need it. But, um, I really did need it. And then I've sort of through the muscle memory and like doing it so many times over the last 10 years, I've lost all shame where I'm just like, I need the money now. But that took a long time. And I don't think I don't think everybody can do it because it does feel bad. But when other but when you being open about stuff is it, it helps me too. Oh, really? Yeah, because I can be like, I'm going through like a quote unquote divorce. And I'm like, I don't have any money because of my divorce. Mm -hmm. And I feel like a failure and bad about that. But I'm also like, yeah, people get divorced. Like, you know what I mean? Are there like things with like the podcast that come up with you guys? Like if one of you like 
needs the money from the podcast and the other is like just doing it for fun or like, I don't know, like what? We just had a big we had situation. A thing with that. We had a thing with that where uh, I accidentally got paid for something that was supposed to go to Allison. And it was like something that's being doled out in in payments. And I had already paid tax. I had already paid taxes. So I would have gotten this payment later, but I already paid taxes on it. So then the, the company emailed me to say, can you actually give Allison $23,000 that we screwed up and didn't give her? You're like, and no. I was like, <laughs> I, at, and they didn't present it right. as like something that was like an option to say no right. to. So I like spiraled for like two hours. And then, and then I was like, wait a minute, let me reach out to Allison and talk to her directly. And two, I can say no. Like I, this was their screw up, not mine. But in the moment I was like, oh my God, I can't let Allison know that this happened. And also, cause it's embarrassing. And also, oh my God, like I, I owe her this money. But then, so I'm ready to believe that I'm the, the bad guy when it comes to finances always. But then I was like, well, I paid taxes on it already. So I actually don't quite have the whole thing. So I just wrote back to them and I was like, no, <laughs> you pay her. And then they were like, oh, yeah, right. OK, we will. Like they just wanted well, we to talk see- to each other. Mm. Yeah. I mean, and I said, once I found out that you had already paid taxes and invested the money, you know, if they had realized their mistake after one day, it's not that big of a right, deal. But it was months, it was months right. later and it was towards the end of the year when like taxes are happening. And so, so talking to Allison directly was like the key. And so I said, just keep the money and I'll get paid Late. later. And so a, a payment that I was due in October of 2022, I literally got paid this week and we're in March. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but but it like, was I was able to do that, you know, because I have that cushion and I have and I don't. that and Gabe doesn't. And so like it was like a no brainer for me where I was like, absolutely, just keep the money. I'll just I'll just wait to get paid. Yeah. Yeah. And then I think, you know, early on when we were doing stuff, I, I you know, I would cover more production costs yeah. and stuff. And like, yeah, you have to just like, have, like, I don't, I, I think that sometimes people are like, but what is quote unquote fair? Mm -hmm. And it's like, well, how far back do you look at fair? Because it's not fair that I come from a place of financial privilege and Gabe doesn't. So once you start looking at it from that point, instead of like, well, what do we owe for this specific shoot? And what would be a 50-50 split? Like, no, take the fairness back to the beginning. And when you talk, when you when you had like, oh, I'm just going to cover a little bit more. Like, did you talk openly about it? Or was it like, wink, wink? Yeah. Like, okay, yeah. No, I was very much like, I don't have it. And also like, there's been a lot of times. I mean, there there was a time where Allison's dad wanted to give me money and I ended up not taking it even though I needed it, but I was being prideful. But I'm, I ended up not taking it. But like, that was the thing that happened. And, you know, I think it, we've always just been aware of like my situation. I think there's been people that have said, oh, but your income is, high, is higher than mine. So you're better off when I don't have any, I have negative, I would say I have negative familial support. Mm. <laughs> and so I think that Allison recognizing that, the generational wealth does count towards stuff is like huge for me. Yeah, that's awesome. And, and so hard to because it's also like, well, but how much or like, we're, you know, it just all this stuff is so hard. But that's great that that you're able to talk about it because it wouldn't work otherwise. Yeah. <laughs> it wouldn't. It wouldn't. And it wouldn't. It, I would have just been pretending to live a lifestyle I don't live. You know, I would just be pretending 
oh, it's fine. Yeah, let me give her back the $23,000. No big deal. Liquid. That I literally was like calling my dad being like, um, I don't have this. And I don't know why I, I, you know, insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. But I, and I feel bad, but like there's been a couple of times where he's, he's like, I can offer emotional support. And I'm like, I know, I know. And I'm not upset about it, but I am, I'm, I'm growing somewhat resentful <laughs> of other people, <laughs> but that's also because of, of my um, stupid divorce. That's making me like hyper aware of of money and who it who has the ability to pay for yeah. what legal help. Et and I think that like we just did. I just talked to this expert on like money and class issues and and poverty. And she she identifies as somebody who grew up in poverty. And like she was just saying how it it's just such a baked in message in society that like if you don't have enough if you don't think you have enough or you can't come up with the money for whatever that like it's your fault and like you're too stupid to figure it out. Like that's Uh this idea that somehow we absorb and it's not true at all. But it's just so hard to break that like, dude, like you didn't miss anything. Like things are the way they are. And the people that have more are not necessarily there because they're smarter. And like, some of right. them, sure, they're smart and they're very hardworking. But like, yeah, it it just like it's a self-blame thing that like is is so hard to to break out of. Yeah. Well, now I'd like to play a very silly game show. Okay. <laughs> that has nothing note. to do with all this systemic <laughs> issues that are keeping us down. So hypotheticals is a game where you and Gabe are my contestants. I'm going to give you a series of hypothetical situations. You can ask any clarifying questions you might have. And then you tell me what you would do in that situation. And I decide if I like your answer. And these are actually totally hypothetical. Or are they like actual based on anything in reality? Great question. Completely made up. Okay. They are made up. Very revealing of what's going on in my brain. Okay. But uh, completely so these, made it's up. It's like super <laughs> high stakes and like it's really going to impact no. somebody's life. No, low stakes, low stakes. Could it have less stakes? <laughs> the stakes are zero. <laughs> <laughs> so our first game is America's favorite game show. Would you stay with this cheater? You have always known that your partner of 27 years has the supernatural ability to take over Stop. someone's body Stop. while their own body is, quote, asleep or non-functioning. Stop it. Normally, they do this only for the greater good. But you find out that 15 years ago, they took over Brad Pitt's body so they could sleep with their celebrity crush, Angelina Jolie, and never told you about it. Would you stay with this cheater? No. Really? Absolutely not. They're also, they also sexually assaulted Angelina Jolie. Well, that's a great point. Right. <laughs> Whoa. Okay. Is when they take over someone's body, is it like in a dream state or is it in like re- like real time? Like they're gone now and they're off in someone's body and like this is really happening. No, it's really happening. Okay. And where's Brad Pitt during this? His brain is like turned off. So it's like he almost experiences like a blackout. Of time. No, he I doesn't remember it. No, I hate it. I absolutely <laughs> hate it. I think it's horrible. I hate it so much. And also they knew it was bad because they didn't tell me. Right. When you do something bad and you don't tell, it's because you know it's bad. Mm-hmm. They didn't even come back and like have the blind spot to be like, 
oh, but, and then I just did this really cool thing. No, they knew it was bad because so they lied about it. Wait, and so remind me, you only find out that they had this power and that they were doing this after the fact? Or you knew they had this? No, you've known about the... You've known about the power the whole time, but, but you didn't know that ago, 15 years ago they, they had sex with Angelina But like Jolie. normally you know that they have this power and they do what with it? Exactly. They'll do good things. Like they will take over like the body of the president and, and give a speech or- about how they're going to increase social security. Okay. <laughs> and then the president like has to do that okay. because he just okay. said it. And he kind of blacked out and was like, oh. oh, I guess I do believe in that. You know what I mean? <laughs> oh my god honestly though okay so can you imagine well they dealt with this on the west wing they were hiding that he had ms so it's like they they're they work for the president the president's like look i actually have to tell you something like regularly i black out and make policy decisions <laughs> and you're like working for him and you're like um okay so we have to step down but then it's like oh but what they're then? all pretty good policy decisions oh my god <laughs> gosh i don't know i kind of like have a hard time like separating this from like feeling like it's a dream state thing like it's just an alternate thing like you know when you have a dream and you do something crazy in it that you would never do in real life uh-huh. but you wake up and you kind of feel like you did it and it's like kind of perfect because you're like I didn't really do it but I did in my dream and I, like I don't know it's not a dream Maya but it is because it's like you're off like in a different dimension. But it really happened somewhere else. The president really yeah, said. Yeah, but Brad Pitt actually had sex with Angelina Jolie. Like. Wow. But he wasn't in his mind. He's trying, <laughs> to, trying to offer an alternate point of view here. All right. Okay. Okay. I think the correct answer is you leave. You leave the cheater, but you continue to work on the mission of improving the world by taking over the president together. You can have the power? No, but you still like you're still like their right hand person. You're still helping the cause, but maybe you end your romantic relationship. Wow. I guess yeah, because then if you end the relationship and you and you never talk to that person again, how do you trust that your new partner isn't just your old partner in their brain? It's mm-hmm. very tough. I wrote a TV show now. This you is did. my show. <laughs> I, I wrote most of the TV show. I feel like this like <laughs> assumes that like any kind of dalliance is always, like, absolutely wrong. But in this case, it is. Well, because Angelina Jolie didn't know that she was consenting mm, to have sex true. with that's your true. partner. That's, that's the problem. true. That's the problem. I did not think about that. That's the problem. All right, so we'll leave, but we'll stay for the cause. For the cause. Yeah. Okay. Okay, our next game. We're comrades. Is, would you forgive this liar? Okay. Yeah. Your child has wanted to be a lawyer their whole life, but after failing the bar three times, They decide to pursue a career in flower arrangements. Years later, their spouse lets it slip that they actually passed the bar, but had realized they didn't want to be a lawyer, so lied about it. Would you forgive this liar who you paid to have many bar tutors? Oh, my Mm. God. I would feel like such a bad parent because I would feel like, why didn't they feel like they could come to me? Why didn't they feel like they could come to me and tell me? Was I pushing them too hard? Was I like a type A parent? It's a good point. I would feel so guilty. I would probably forgive them as the parent. Like, I feel like I would have a conversation and be like, I'm really disappointed. But like, of course, like that decision is going to be packed with a lot of shame. And there might be a reason why they didn't tell you. By the way, that totally sounds like something I would do. Like, I have a secret desire to work at a flower shop. So and I like thought that I wanted to go to law school at one point. So 
I don't know. I guess I don't know. Maybe I'm just yeah on the forgiving side of all this, but I'm like, yeah, I <laughs> think I would because it's like my child, and I would be mad, but I would be like, okay, like I get that this was probably a hard decision for you. Yeah, it is. A, it must have been hard because there's so much prestige attached to mm. being a lawyer and so much like stigma attached to being a florist. Is there so much stigma? <laughs> there's so much stigma. Yeah, because me. you're like a small business owner and you could have had this other career. And it's like it's like you know, it's like it's like having the big city job in the Hallmark movie or having the the small town. Yeah, job. but they, that movie always ends with them picking the small. Exactly. Town job. So I think my kid's probably happier. <laughs> yeah, I think we forgive. We forgive. We forgive and we we even show our forgiveness by buying a beautiful bouquet from them that we then give right back to them. What? Why? Well, to you say, say like, I bought forg- you this. It's like, I'd like to order this beautiful bouquet. They hand it to you and you go, actually, this is for you. Wait, ha- so this actually happened in real life. I'm aware of this child who's like very clever as a little kid. And when she was like five, she would pick flowers off of people's yards from their ni- nice gardens, like nice flowers that they were cultivating. And then she would make a bouquet and go up to that house and sell it to them. Wow. Or try to sell it that, to them. And that child is Melinda Gates. Melinda Gates does a lot of philanthropy. I, I'm saying that she's smart. She made money. And that's where her <laughs> money came from. Flower double dipping. I mean, it's brilliant, but problematic. If I found out my kid was doing that, I'd be like, actually, let's get into let's get you into like a legitimate business because you you yeah. seem to have the mind for it. I know. I'd be like, OK, interesting instincts. Right. Like, I don't agree with what you're doing, but very creative. Wait, but if you were the homeowner and you kind of knew that they had cut your flowers and stolen them from you, but you had this sweet little five year old, would you buy the yes, OK? I guess. Yeah. But I would have to have a real talk with my kid about ethics and the parents. I would have to say, yeah. can I can yeah. I talk to your parents? Actually, <laughs> Yes. Oh, my God. OK, our final game. Is this a date? You just started going to a new gym and there is a person there who seems to have the exact same workout routine as you where you keep having to wait for them to finish the machine you want to use next. You end up talking quite a bit. And at the end of their workout, they say, same time tomorrow. Ha! Is this a date? And this is the only time you've ever spoken to them? Yeah. I don't think it's a date, but it is funny. (laughs) Yeah, it's like a pre-date. Oh, a pre-date. That's interesting. It's a flirt. A flirt. Thank you so, so much for joining us. Where can people find you. you and listen to your show? You can find... Other people's pockets wherever you listen to podcasts. And I'm on Twitter at Maya Lau and on TikTok and Instagram at It's Maya Money. Thank you guys so much. This was so fun. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much. Stick around after the break. We'll be talking all about memoirs. Just between us, it's time for topics. X, baby, baby, baby. Ooh, ASMR. So this week, I decided that the topic would be memoir because it just feels juicy. What is a memoir? Well, do you feel that overthinking about you was a memoir of sorts for yourself? I do. So that's what's interesting about this is that when I explain overthinking about you, which is available wherever books are sold, please buy it. I I describe it as a blend of memoir and self-help. Yeah. But if you read the book, I mean, 
it's more like me sharing details of my life to reinforce the points I'm making more broadly about mental health and relationships and to sort of like prove that like change is possible and here's what I learned. And to me, that feels a little different than like a a straight memoir that is just like, let me tell you the story of my life. Yeah. Yeah. Bad With Money was qualified as a financial memoir. Oh, really? Yeah. Which I did not know was a thing. But I never heard of that. I know. Similar to you. Similar. It was like me talking about finances and, and sharing stuff from my own life in that regard. But I think a lot of it is stuff that could have gone in a memoir. Like the bipolar chapter is my favorite thing. One of my favorite things I've ever written. And so I think that is stuff that could go in a memoir. But then like memoirs are like if you've lived an interesting life and you're you're like a famous or a well-known person and then and then you just want to like spill the tea. That's my thing is like there's so many quote unquote memoirs coming out right now that aren't actually memoirs. They're just things that people can Google about you. If you're going to write a memoir, I need things that you can't Google. I need the dirt. I need the tea. I need. I need I need you to name names. Correct. <laughs> and like people were giving Matthew Perry crap about things that he said in his memoir. And I'm like, let him say it. If we find out that like he's not like in some people's opinions a good person because of the things that he said in the memoir, it's the truth yeah, though. You're that's, learning about that's, him. That's who he is. So like let him say it. Don't give him flack for it. People need to be spilling tea and sharing their thoughts in their memoirs. Yeah. If not, don't write it. Don't waste anybody else's time. Yeah. I love what that Brian Cox was naming names, the, the dad from Succession, mm-hmm. when he was naming names in his memoir. So funny. He was? Oh, he was just like saying who he hated working with and who he <laughs> loved. Whatever. So funny. I wonder about like with that stuff like that, like, fact checking like I know they there was no fact checking done on bad with money I had to hire someone outside to do it the the publisher didn't really care but I wonder about like Matthew Perry talking or like Brian Cox talking about shit it's like I think if you just say in my opinion this person then it doesn't matter yeah I'm like it doesn't need to actually be fact checked because what are when you're thinking when you're talking about your perspective on things what is a fact there's not real like it happened in the way that you saw it. Mm. Have you ever read a memoir that you enjoyed? I liked Amy Poehler's, mm-hmm. but, but it wasn't Amy really. Amy Poehler gave us no goods about her divorce. And, you know, it might have been like part of the divorce, though, that you, that can't... you can't. Yeah. yeah. But I wanted that. I yeah. wanted that real bad. Yeah. I have read three autobiographies of Tina Turner um, because she became a hyperfixation during uh, 2020. And I think at a certain point, like her life is so fascinating, but, and I really appreciated how honest she was about the abuse that she suffered under Ike. And I must've been so freeing to be able to write about that. It did give so much insight into her because she wrote about it so matter of factly in this way that I would just, it like showed how normalized the violence was in her life. So, and, and also she's an incredible performer and it was so interesting to hear about her life as a performer. And then by the time you get to the third one, She kind of is like, and this is why I think I'm reincarnated from Egyptian royalty. And I, at that point, was like, yeah, you've earned it. Tell me all about it, girly. (laughs) At what point, what point in her life did she write this one, the last one? Well, it was very funny because someone, uh, I was talking about how I read a lot of her 
autobiographies and someone was like, would you, which one would you say is simply the best, which is mm. a Tina Turner joke. Mm-hmm. And I am so invested in her that I didn't even realize that was a joke. And I went, I, Tina, I answered the question. Like, well, I think you were, they were asking for an answer. They were just asking in a clever way. So I don't know when the last one was written, but basically like she starts to, she's like getting into psychics and stuff. And so she then like starts to talk about like reincarnation and psychics and things like and that. And that's fine. Like if that's what she truly believes in this point in oh, her life. Oh, I was life, like, you've earned it. Great. Absolutely. And so. If but, it's her truth. Right. It's, it's just a fun left turn. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Because so much of her life was so dark mm-hmm. that you're like, I absolutely tell me this. Stuff. Right. I think it must have been so freeing for her to like finally be able to tell her story. And that's the genre of memoir that I like when it's someone who's just like, let me tell you my side of the story. Mm-hmm. Yes, I love that. I do think that that's a way to like correct often like power imbalances. Yes, and reclaim. Like Pamela Anderson just had one come out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. After like her life rights were like unfairly mm-hmm. like used in mm-hmm. Pam and Tommy, which she did not approve of, which was a TV show. And she like did not want that show made and they made it anyway about her. And then for her to then get to like write her own story, I think is is so awesome. Right. Except here's a, a back words version of that in 1999 ike turner released his own autobiography taking back my name which is a rebuttal of the image presented of of him in tina's book and film okay so i don't actually know what he could say to to refute and that's fine are you fucking kidding me as long as people are writing their truths fine it doesn't mean i have to like it it doesn't mean i have to believe it or accept it but if that's what he wants to write okay I don't think that's his truth. I think those are his lies that he ca- carefully exactly. calculated. Oh, my God. I just realized she released another one in 2020. I haven't read it. Oh, well, this you. is great. You should news leave for right me. now. Yeah. I got to go get it. Bye. <laughs> OK, but I think some people are it's too young. Well, that's a question, right? Of like, like, is there an age? Is there like an age requirement for a memoir? But what if somebody had a really... You know, life. interesting, yeah. wild childhood. And then at 25, they like want to look back when all those memories are still really uh-huh. fresh and vivid. And, everything. and I think that's fine because like you get like a Tina Turner situation who's written four books. You get to see where they mm-hmm. are at that mm-hmm. point in their life because things can change for them. Let's say that Tina Turner decided not to write a book until she went to the psychic. That's a totally different book. Like she's right. older, but that doesn't mean that that's like the book that she wrote 10, 15 years ago, that yeah. would have been the same thing. <laughs> I just you love know? the idea of like, we only have one book and it's after she saw the right. psychic. Right. <laughs> so see, like, you can write a memoir at any point in time. Doesn't mean I'm going to read it, Yeah, but mm-hmm. it can just be your diary. That can be your memoir. <laughs> How do you feel about not necessarily a celebrity, but someone who survived something. So like a, um, an Elizabeth Smart or a JC Dugard or something. I feel like there must be such a, a balance for them of, of how much to reveal of like what happened to them. And, and cause people read it to get like sorted details versus like how much to focus on like healing and, and like, you know, stuff mm-hmm. like that. I wonder, it must be really delicate. Well, I think like there is the thing of, I'm going to give you a lot of money for your story and maybe yeah. people don't want to write the memoir and maybe like going back and like having to revisit it and talk about it and make it in a way that is like presentable and understandable for money. other people. But like the right, the money is like there. So I imagine there are probably plenty of people out there who have like signed a book contract that they 
then regretted or, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I like what, when does it become exploitation or even like, you know what, you know, what is a very interesting memoir. This is not exploitation, but this is Sue Klibold, who son Dylan was one of the Columbine shooters. She wrote a memoir that was really exquisitely done and she's given Ted talks and stuff. And that is someone who like never needed to speak again. And I think like has done a lot of work with like mental illness and forgiveness and stuff like that. But there's the flip side where it's like someone who writes, you know, who like has a family member or someone go through something and writes like a salacious sort of profiting off of someone else's pain. Mm -hmm. And there might be people who think, oh, she shouldn't have written a book because my child died or something, you know? So it's like, it's really, it's really difficult. I mean, even the woman whose father was the BTK, which is a serial killer, her book, I think was, it's just like interesting because I think both of those books were good in the sense of like looking for the signs. Like both of them have stories where they just completely missed what was happening, which fair, absolutely. Why would you think that your dad's a serial killer? But like, you know, I think they both kind of go back and really painstakingly go through like what signs there were and stuff. And, but then, you know, it's like, I imagine the victims have feelings on that. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. It's an, it's an interesting genre because you have that. And then you also have, you know, Miley Cyrus at 16 writing her memoir. Well, you have Harry writing his memoir, Spare. Oh, about yeah. About his uh, frostbitten todger. But I do respect that he shared lots of details. Yes. Right. He delivered on what a memoir mm-hmm. should be. Yes, definitely. But it does like raise the question of like ghostwriters in memoirs yep. and like how so many memoirs are actually like ghostwritten. Mm-hmm. And why do you think that we need that charade? Not everybody's a writer. Yeah. And so some people can tell things about their lives and then have the ghostwriter like actually structure it yeah but why do we have to pretend like they wrote it then i think sometimes they pretend they wrote it and i think sometimes they put the other like again not to bring up tina turner again but anytime she has a ghostwriter their name is also on the i like that yeah yeah i feel like you should put the ghostwriter's name on the cover too i think so and then not even call it a ghostwriter but call it a collaborator Mm -hmm. yeah well one of her ghostwriters was from mtv kurt loader Mm -hmm. so like he already kind of had his own name Mm. as a music journalist but i imagine it'd be so cool like someone uh, to be a ghostwriter like you sit down the person just tells you their story and then you sort of like have to sort of ask for details and like get more i don't know i think it's i think it's probably a pretty interesting gig Oh, yeah. And yeah. like and then having to write it in their voice. I think it's a really cool job that like it's talked about like it's not. But it's like what a huge accomplishment, because especially a lot of these books are the books that then are bestsellers and are mm-hmm. read by so many people. And mm-hmm. you're the one who wrote it. How mm-hmm. cool. One of my friend's cousins did uh, Jody Sweeten's memoir. Oh, really? Yeah. You don't have to say like, I don't think you should hide if you had a ghostwriter. Yeah, I think a lot of people just know. But isn't it somewhere in the book? Like, it's not it on the front be, cover. Yeah. It's like in something. It depends. Yeah, but it has to be in there, I think, yeah. for sure. I don't know. I'm interested in Elliot Page's that's going to come out. But I also know that he's very protective of his image. So I wonder if he will spill any tea. Right. There's so much tea that I want, though. I know. Here's my number one. Okay. I want to know what the hell was going on when he was with Alexander Skarsgård. They dated? They dated. So 
he was already out as a lesbian, question mark. I, and then was like seen with Alexander Skarsgård, like uh, fall, like around and like arms around each other and holding hands and stuff and like dating. And then that just like went away. And it makes me think that Skarsgård is like, be, like needed a beard for something. I, that's the one moment I would be like, I need information about is this. Is that the one that was on Atlanta? Because if you, if that is, hold on. No, no, he's on True Blood. He's no, I True mean, Blood. there was one episode where one of the Scars Guards is on one episode and plays themselves. And if that's the one, hold on. And then people will go back and say, oh, no, they never dated. They were just friends. But like, I don't think they were just friends. Or I, I mean, I think maybe they were friends and someone, their publicist like said, look like you're dating, but I need to know why. That doesn't really make any sense if if Elliot was already... Yeah, it was. <laughs> it was Alexander. Um, okay, what version of himself is he playing? I do not want to spoil it because it is the wildest episode of TV that I've ever seen in my life. Really? But I highly recommend everyone <laughs> watch it. Oh, Paige wasn't out as gay yet. Okay, yeah. So, oh, so that changes everything. Yeah. Okay, so then makes me go side-eye, right? Because Elliot Page wasn't out. They co-starred in a movie together. There were a bunch of paparazzi photos of them cuddling up and kissing and stuff. And then all of a sudden, it was like this person was a lesbian the whole time. And everyone and it's like, oh, it was just like a sham relationship to promote the movie. Fine. But then what's the deal with Skarsgård then? I need everyone to go watch season three, episode 10. You don't have to like Atlanta. Like there is a bigger storyline that. But the episodes are self-contained. Yes, yeah, so the episodes are self-contained. So I would like everyone to go watch that episode and then come back to this. All right. <laughs> what do we rate this episode? I rate it 60 out of 50 pay people fairly. Yes. I'll rate it 97 out of 33 changing friend groups. I'll rate it 50 out of 40. If you have a memoir, spill all the tea. Yes. That's it. So true. Thank you to Maya Lau for being our guest. Just Between Us is a Forever Dog production hosted by me, Allison Raskin. And me, Gabe Dunn. Produced by Melissa Diamond Montz. Edited by Coco Lorenz. Executive produced by Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. Brendan Burns composed our killer theme music. To listen to this podcast ad-free, sign up for Forever Dog Plus at foreverdogpodcast.com slash plus. And make sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Forever Dog Team to keep up with all the latest Forever Dog news. Also, you can follow this podcast at Just Between Us Pod on TikTok and at JBU Podcast on Instagram. Also, I'm on Instagram now at Gabe S. Dunn. And I'm on Instagram and Twitter at Allison Raskin. And on TikTok at, at Allison Raskin Baby. And I'm on TikTok as Dabby Gun. So branding's going really well over here. Yeah, good luck finding us. Forever. Dog.